Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. We will be discussing Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. This week I'm joined by Helen. Hello. Harry. Hello. And Jake. Hello. We also have a special guest uh, awaiting you today, the film's creative source, Tarell Alvin McCraney. But before we get on to our discussion of the film and the interview, let's have a question. So, Moonlight chronicles the life of a young gay black man from childhood to adulthood as he struggles to find his place in the world growing up in a rough neighbourhood in Miami. So, we're the film's told in three chapters, uh, Chiron as a young boy, a teenager, and an adult. So I'd like you three to pitch a film to me with three actors or actresses playing the same character from a young age, a sort of middle part of their life, and an older age. We'll start with Jake. Okay, I think the rules are established that we don't really need a story, we just need the three people. And we'll find it along the way. Yeah, in the, that's fine. In the true traditional filmmaking. Of Jake has not won the point. <laughs> we'll, we'll find it in... Yeah. Wait, wait. All you right. just cut your point in half, Jake, but okay. go on. Wait, okay. The youngest, the young chapter, the first third, the aliens from Toy Story. Wow. Okay, so that's where we're starting. <laughs> chapter two, Kang and Kodos... From The Simpsons. Got yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yep. Chapter 3, Abbott and Costello from Arrival. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we start with, and notice, the number of eyes that they have reduces. All right? But their awareness grows. Yeah? So they start with three eyes in Aliens. Uh, as the aliens in Toy silence. Story. And then they've only got one each. In as Kang and Kodo. So what's happened there? You know, what have they seen? What have they gone through? To then and then to, in take, a, to take one of their eyes away. Two. Well, no, two no, two they've eyes. merged into just one big eye. What? So you think they? So you think? Like this spans millennia. Like, oh, okay. This story could do. Uh, and then when we reach uh, their development to the ones in Arrival, they've got no eyes. So, I mean, there's there's room for a lot of story here. What has happened to go from, you have saved our lives, we are totally grateful, um, to then be the aliens way in the future of Arrival, where they come back and they save the humans' lives and they're eternally grateful. What? Would you, would you have it like a Simpsons cartoon? Or would you have it like Toy Story? Or would you have it set in the real... Like how... Or would you merge each? Harry, I'm not a slave to form, you know? I'm a slave to story. 
All right. That's what they say about you. Yeah. Um, and coming because I mean, Kang and Kodos, they hate the humans. So in the first act, they love them because the humans saved them. And then in the third act, they go to save the humans again. But in the middle of it, they're trying to destroy them. So what has happened, you know, over that time? And that's what we're going to figure out. And so that's my film. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my idea, I've so what I've done is I've actually um, put the actors I've chosen into a into a film rather than just trying to get everyone else to do the work for me because I know some people have done that. Mate, I'm going to do Mike Lee with mine. Like I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to stick I'm going to stick him in a village hall. Going to put tape marks on the floor and just like guys, we'll figure it out. We'll Vera Drake this thing. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so my my idea is I want I want to do a um a three part Joker film, as in Joker from the Batman. Good. Um, because I, I feel like I feel like the Joker's feeling a bit neglected at the moment. Yeah. Suicide Squad wasn't the strongest. That let's let's be all be honest about that. Since Heath Ledger, we haven't had a strong Joker. You haven't seen Lego Batman yet. I haven't seen that yet, <laughs> so I can't I can't comment. But a human joker then okay so we're starting with why has he become who he's become will poulter the the young british actor is going to play the yeah, joker i, I think see that, yeah. that he's yeah. got a good smile for Pretty the joker yeah. yeah right and then then this is a bit of redemption for myself for previous comments vince vaughan is going to play <laughs> the sort of middle-aged joker yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because i last what? time <laughs> i think the last time i wasn't very nice about him so uh, when we did the Tony Ehrman one, so yeah, he's going to play the middle one, but like, like sort of Joker, like he's evil, he's vicious. Right. The Joker's going to be evil. <laughs> what? He's put on a bit of weight. <laughs> you really he's, hate Vince Vaughn. He's walking through a desert, <laughs> barefoot. He's I'm, looking at mold on his ceiling. I'm, he's I, playing dodgeball. I really don't like Vince Vaughn. Um, and then, and then, Redemption Joker just. Just got out of prison, been been <laughs> let out because because uh, because he's dying and he wants to redeem some of the bad things he's done. Jeff Bridges oh, right, as an okay. old Joker, and then sort of that lovely that but like just sort of three scenes rather than a sort of biopic mm. going through everything. Much much like sort of Steve Jobs or something like that. The way that was done. So three particular moments, but Poulter in the first one, <laughs> Vince Vaughn in the second one, and Jeff Bridges in the third one. Helen. Right, if you're playing along at home, I need you, need you to open Google and then I need you to open Microsoft Paint. Right. Right. <laughs> First up, Alex Lawther, who I noticed in the, Im in the imitation game, he plays a young Alan Turing, and then he's in the third episode of Black Mirror. Can we all agree that he's yeah. a brilliant actor? Yeah, yeah. I think he has he's come up on this podcast from you about four or five times yeah, now. Yeah, because he's incredible and he's going to do incredible things. Yeah. So he's the young. Then the middle, Paul Dano. Yeah. yeah. Who is in Swiss Army Man and is the mute kid in Little Miss Sunshine. Yep. yep. Okay. The last, Julian Barrett. Mighty Ooh, Boosh. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Okay. Well, now you've all got them on Microsoft Paint. I need you to <laughs> highlight their eyes. Similar thing to you, Jake, we could combine. Yeah. Highlight their eyes. I've really pulled it out the back. They've basically got the same eyes, but they just get smaller. So <laughs> this is a film about a man. 
don't, don't. Don't say it. Who don't. is convinced his eyes are getting smaller, but nobody else in the film <laughs> seems to notice. And he suddenly realises that maybe no one's ever looked at him. Okay, you lost your mind, oh, haven't you, Helen? And this needs to be the story of an entire life. <laughs> I'm I'm crying yeah. with joy. Yeah, like this is a thirty-year story. Yeah, yeah. people people can't, film. people can't see it, but Helen is sat back like she's just invented the wheel. <laughs> But yep, nailed but instead that. she's broken yeah. cinema. <laughs> <laughs> she's got this is how I imagine Stanley what Kubrick looked yeah. in the two thousand and one pitch. Like, guys, I've nailed it. <laughs> what what else do you want me to say? Smaller eyes. I think I think me me, Sam and Jake could do that because Jake's uh, Sam's got quite quite big eyes. Yeah. And then I've got like sort of small but Jake's got you can barely see Jake's, Jake's got eye. no eyes. Jake's got no eyes, so we can play that movie. I often just like hold Jake's arm and lead him around places, <laughs> forgetting that he can see. Oh, guys, I do have eyes. Uh, who are you looking at? <laughs> well that's uh, part of my mystery, <laughs> isn't it? You know? Uh my pick is I'm gonna do a Benjamin Button female remake. Nice. So Judy Dench as the young one (laughs) Judy Dench Emma Stone and the girl from the nice guys uh, Andre sorry that's a huge jump (laughs) (laughs) Judy Dench has got like 40 years (laughs) yeah that's fine we can make a big jump Benjamin Button Benjamin Button mate it's fine Benjamin Button so we don't need to do the Brad Pitt thing where it's just the same person yeah it's Emma Stone but I mean they aged Brad Pitt from like 19 to 60 in that film yeah. with CGI so you could do the same with Emma Stone just keep her for the made bulk and then at the uh, at the beginning you have Dench <laughs> sorry I find that so weird <laughs> I'm spending my whole film with Emma Stone ageing and then it's just no, oh ageing backwards yeah, though yeah I know but then it's just so, so we spent two hours with her and it's like oh there's Judy Dench <laughs> no so Judy a, Dench is at the beginning sorry <laughs> you're forgetting the but premise still, yeah we start off with Dench yeah She's doing her thing. Next scene, it's Emma Stone, who looks a little bit like Judy Dench. She gets less and less like Judy Dench, and then she's Emma Stone as we know her. Then she gets more and more like Andrew Rice. And then the next scene, she's Andrew Rice. Finchy did it, I can do it. Oh yeah, and you could use the technology from Looper that they use yeah. to kind of merge the faces. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So what, Benjamina Zipper? Or <laughs> Benjamina <laughs> Class? Benjamina. Yeah, Benjamina. Please don't name your child Benjamina. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to come up with a title. That's half the work. Benjamina Zipper. Benjamina Zipper. Inspired. The curious, the odd life of Benjamina Zipper. The odd existence of Benjamina yeah. Zipper. That just sounds like it's got Tim Burton written all over it, doesn't it? Right. That was Danny Elfman. That was supposed to be Danny Elfman. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's have a winner then. What do we think? I mean, I think Small Eyes got a good reaction. Oh come on! I personally quite liked the aliens, but uh, so lie. But I think you should have gone for it rather than be like, oh, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Wait. We're, <laughs> what? We're, I'm gonna do it. It's, it's gonna be like a link letter thing. We we find it along the way, you know. I think you should have found it before the podcast. Uh, do you think that's how Boyhood worked? 
No. I'm going to be honest, it's no boyhood. It could be. Alienhood. <laughs> That's going to be Noel Clarke's next film. Oh. <laughs> That's the fourth in the in the saga. Uh, right, should we have a vote? Who votes for the aliens? I'll go alien. Alien. Uh, aliens is one. Yes! <laughs> Harry didn't vote. Jake it's didn't vote. It's a disgrace. Vote. I was going to vote for Harry. Yeah, but I can just vote for whatever Harry doesn't. <laughs> What? I think we should have, right okay we're no, gonna have to we're okay, gonna, no I'm gonna put my hand I'm gonna say smaller eyes I like right smaller. so it's a draw so it's a to draw. draw so you get half okay. a point each it's and we a said tie. That we both have the thing about the eyes let's combine plots let's We've do it. it there we are um, we both win okay so we're about to discuss uh, Moonlight but before that uh, we have an interview now so before it was Moonlight the film started as a small treatment written by acclaimed playwright Tarell Alvin McCraney titled in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, about his life growing up in Liberty City, Miami. Uh, I sat down with McCraney earlier this week in London and spoke to him about his childhood, the origins of the film, and uh, his previous work under August Wilson. So enjoy. Okay, and we're delighted to be joined by Tarell Alvin McCraney. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So congratulations on the film and its uh, incredible reaction and reception. Uh, and all the awards it's been nominated for. Uh, but something that's kind of caught my attention is that so last weekend at the BAFTAs it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay and then mm -hmm. at the Oscars it's Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm -hmm. So could you maybe sort of um, explain the origins of the film and maybe give some context to that sort of discrepancy in the awards and how it's recognised? Well, sure. I mean, I, I'll deal with the easiest first, yeah. um, which is the, the discrepancy, quote unquote. Um, you know, uh, the academies, both BAFTA and the Academy Awards, are private institutions, and so they have certain scriptures that they uh, or precepts that they place on these categories. And, yeah. You know, in one place we we fit the bill in in, a, in one way, in another place we fit in total opposite. So, to me, it's um, you know, it's. It, it's it's their party, so we sort of sure. just show up and say thank you. Either way, um, and and so that's that's how that works. Yeah. The way in which the the script became Moonlight is a little bit of a complicated story, which I don't I don't mind telling. It it feels so uh, it's stranger than fiction. Actually, <laughs> it's um, um, the I wrote in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue yeah. uh, as a kind of filmic. Uh, uh, meditation on my life in Liberty City. Uh, my mother just died from AIDS-related complications. Uh, I just graduated from undergrad. and I kind of didn't know where my life was going. Um, and I was really terrified that I wasn't going to be able to put some very strong memories together. Yeah. Again, um, you know, you forget things, but you often think, okay, well, my mom or my dad will remember it for me. Yeah. Um, and so with her gone, I felt like, wow, there was going to be so much that I just didn't retain. So I just really eagerly wanted to put things down and, and wrestle with um, this question of, you know, who, who were the most important people to me and my quote-unquote role models and who, what I was looking at a life as a, as a performer, as an artist, as an actor at the time. But... You know, why didn't I become a drug dealer? One of the most uh, influential people in my life, uh, especially from a young age, was a drug dealer. And, you know, what would my life look like if I had gone down that road, which was an invitation that I had gotten often growing up in Liberty City. So I put those, I put that down and put it down in like 60 or 70 pages or less. Um, and, uh, and then tried to move on with my life and continue writing plays. And 
Um, and so I had this script called Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. And my friend Andrea, Andrew Hevier, who is a co-producer of Moonlight the Film, but also he runs a, P, um, a company called Borscht Film Festival, Film Company in Miami, which is dedicated to like getting Miami artists yeah. to create films. Um, they were working with Barry Jenkins. And uh, Barry had created this film called uh, Medicine for Melancholy in San Francisco. And they were like, well, look, how do, you, <laughs> how do we get you to create um, something as beautiful as uh, medicine in Miami? Because you're from Miami. You were born and raised there. Now, I had never met Barry, and I didn't know really who he was. I knew, yeah. I knew of his work. Um, and then um, Andrew gave uh, Barry in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue. Um, and then that's how we began to have a conversation about yeah. Growing up three blocks from each blocks away from each other, living literally in the same neighborhood, both having mothers who struggled with addiction, which is you know which was in the piece. Yeah. Um, Barry took that script and then rewrote it specifically to shoot Moonlight, and that's how we got here. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned the word there, like meditation. Mm -hmm. um, do you see writing the the play and this the film as a kind of, sort of therapeutic or kind of cathartic and sort of um, exploring your past life in a way? Um, I wish. I wish it felt like I, a, a cathartic feeling. It, fe it does feel like exercising in that you are doing something about uh, the ephemeral. Okay. Um, you're doing something physical that is, that, is, uh, that is about things that are intangible. However, you know, at the end of it, you, you think of catharsis and you think, ah, something's gotten out. Yeah. And that, that's not how this feels. It no. feels like I've gotten something down. Right. It feels like I've been able to pin down a ghost or an apparition that yeah. had been floating around. And we finally got a photograph of it. So there's proof, hmm. right, that it exists. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there's something meditative about that. But does it give you a sort of uh, peace? I don't know. Okay. There's still things to work on, I guess. And always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's always something to work on. Um, so, and how was it giving something so personal to you, to someone else, That's to say, look, take this, do what you want with it, kind of in a way? I mean, is that kind of difficult? Um, you know, in two in two parts uh, is the answer to that question, because in the in the original uh, conference or conversation between Barry and I. It wasn't very difficult because Barry has and had a lexicon, even without, I mean, again, I didn't know all of the things that we shared yeah. um, right off the bat. But because of the way he talked about the piece in such a very direct and pointy way, and again, if he, if he grew up in that neighborhood yeah. and during that time, there was no way, and possessing the, the talents that he had, there was no way he couldn't bring you know the kind of verisimilitude and quality to it that it just you couldn't it's impossible it's so specific you know it's so it's so um it's so uh miami in that way um and so i had no there was no doubt in my mind that he knew he knew that world and understood it yeah. um and then uh you know he kept inviting me to set and in that place i didn't trust myself and not because i thought he or the actors wouldn't do any wouldn't do justice to the script but when something's that personal and you see it happening again you 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 can't help but just want to get in involved and sort of make it so and then and also the actors would have the actors and maybe even Barry would have been looking to me to mm -hmm. kind of verify and check off like oh yeah that's how it went yeah and 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 that's that's not important at that moment. Yeah. In that moment, what's more important is that they, they're bringing their most true selves to it. 
which is why we have such an incredible, beautiful film. Yeah. Um, that you know, these artists really knew what they were doing, down to the cinematographer, up to the grips. I mean, these are people who are professionals and deserve all the sort of accolades they got because they did the work. Um, and they didn't just sort of, you know, turn around and go, hey, is this exactly like it yeah. was? And so, um, so for me, the trust came in going, knowing myself well enough to go, that it's too personal to watch these scenes be yeah. played out. Stay the F home, you know, <laughs> and let them do their job. And I understand they filmed in, in Liberty City itself. Mm. And so you said then that you kind of tried to stay away from that as much as you could? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed away. Yeah. There was no try. I stayed oh, away. You, didn't, you went on set at all, really? No. Yeah. I went to Barry's office maybe two or three times, yeah. and they were literally around the corner from my house. Okay. So I would go around there and say, hey, how you doing? And any, anything I can do? Or, you know, they had a casting call once, and I... Or they had a location problem at some point, and they needed a an elementary school. So I called, you know, people that I knew yeah. and, and sort of got them set up in, in ways that I could. But you know, we <laughs> we uh, it was better that I was not on anybody's set. So, um, if the film had been given to someone, a director who hadn't, you know, hadn't had Barry's background or a similar mm -hmm. background to you, would you have been even more hesitant? Do you think? The, it just wouldn't have happened. Okay. I mean, there were directors who came in before, right. uh, and friend or friends of mine who came in before who wanted to, you know, produce it, and they would say things like, "Let's do it in Chicago," mm. or you know, "We can totally, you know, make the we can extend this into a revenge film or something like that." Yeah. And and you know, my answer was always, "No, nah, that's okay." <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm busy. I have other things to do. But but thank you. Yeah. You know, and so the reason the reason it became easy and the reason it happened was because when Barry said those things, it all made sense and there was like an easy yes. Yeah. You know, a quick and easy yes. There was no need to have to go wait. What? Yeah. You know, just your thing. Yeah, I mean, okay. it just made sense. It just made a qualitative sense that that didn't take long to think about. Whereas there have been times where people had brought suggestions for it before, and I was just like, hmm, yeah, this isn't right. So having having seen the film now, mm -hmm. and I assume you you spent time with the actors, and mm -hmm. since, is it strange being around some of them, like uh, yeah. Marshall Ali, for example, because he plays the uh, basis of the drug dealer that you knew growing mm -hmm. up. Yep. Is it weird being around him every now and then? Like, um, it's not weird being around him. I do remember the first time I saw the film, and I was with him. You know, I sort of, I sort of started crying, and and <laughs> sort of, and he had to kind of pick me up. Um, and I think that, mo and in that moment, I just was really grateful to him. Yeah. As I am to Naomi Harris, as I am to you know Travante and Andre Holland, who is a dear friend of mine, and um, you know has been in every one of my plays. They just to be able to find people who, and again, I don't know if you know the budget of the film, but it's not like we, you know, yeah. they're not paying these actors yeah. a whole great deal of money, and sure. you know, we're not putting them up at the Ritz Carlton when yeah. they're down there. They, they, you were just. Literally taking time off of you know Bond films and yeah. and you know Netflix smash hits and to come down and make this this yeah. this piece of poetry, um, and but with such skill, um, that that's the thing that I can't get over. They none of them shirked on it because you know it was a it was a a, a lower end budget. Yeah. None of them shirked on the the amount of talent that they brought forward, and even Barry, you know, Barry could have easily been like, oh, you know, this is a little thing that we're making. Yeah. Put his full self in it. Sure. Same with James. Same with Adela. I mean, A24. They sort of just yeah. brought as much of themselves to it as possible, and I think you know you can't be anything but grateful to something yeah. like that. I know you weren't on set, but how were the the um, 
the people of Liberty City with this film going on? Were they okay with it, or were they? Were they I mean, there was you know there was a trepidation in the beginning, I think, um, from the neighborhood, and not because of the film subject matter, but because more often than not, when someone comes to film inside Liberty City, they're doing either a newsreel about yeah. you know the violence or yeah. the poverty. Um, or they're doing a TV show called First 48 or Cops, right. which takes place normally in you know poor neighborhoods, and you see yeah. you know see cameras chasing after a police who is chasing after somebody who is you know yeah. committed a crime, and so after a while you get tired of people just showing that about your yeah. neighborhood. But eventually, you know, Barry really worked to become you know in back ingrained into the neighborhood that he'd grown up in, that we'd grown up in, and. Um, and eventually, you know, people, I remember we walked there the other day because we were just, you know, taking pictures in general, um, walking by my aunt's house and someone, you know, <laughs> my cousin rode by and he was like, hey, you're in the neighborhood, come by the house. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll be back there soon. He's like, yeah, what are y'all doing? You shooting Moonlight too? And I was like, no, no, we're not shooting Moonlight too. But it was just one of those moments where like the, neighbor, the neighborhood has, has gotten to a point where they're like, this is... Yeah. our thing now yeah so you know my cousin's gonna tell me to come by the house in the middle of a shoot because like he doesn't care he's like yeah. i don't care if you're shooting you need to come by the house and say <laughs> hi and then two um you know they're they're like yeah you know well you must be doing the sequel to moonlight because you know we yeah. know you shot here and it's it's just ingrained now so i think i think they're pretty proud of it yeah a sense of pride in the community yeah that's good okay um i mean over the past few years the conversation about representations of uh Black experience in film, the gay experience in film, have become more and more important mm. as you know people are seeing it's an underrepresented uh, experience in film. Uh, and do you think the reception Moonlight's had is a sign of moving forward progression in a way? We can only hope. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I'm always sort of trepidatious in terms of figuring out waves of things. I I think it's important that when we talk about um, representation, that we can't have flash in the pan moments, Yeah. right? Because for example, I, I was sort of sitting here or earlier, I think, tr figuring out uh, how I've seen so many films about coming of age. So I think there's a film called the De uh, My Brother the Devil, right. uh, which deals with you know a Muslim family and uh, a, a young man who's struggling with his sexuality who was in gangs in East London, I think. Yeah. And it's just sort of a beautiful film uh, but that I've seen, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, but I don't know if a lot of other people yeah. have seen it. And so these these sort of lulls that happen in terms of um, identity, people people's identity in terms of color, in terms of poverty, in terms of sexuality, um, happen. And it's it's weird to me. And and if 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 Moonlight can help us not have those lulls, that's mm -hmm. great. Um, but I don't. It, it certainly wasn't created to no, sure. to patch that up. It to was avoid tokenism. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was created to to tell a very intimate story about you know two young men's life yeah, in, in sure. this community. Um, but I, you know, you can always hope. You sort of hope that okay, yeah. great, somebody will also tell a story of a young girl, you know, struggling to to figure out her life in, you know, abject poverty in some other part of the world and that will, yeah. you know, it'll have and that it'll have a, plat a platform hopefully because, you know, we we see now that people are eager and or at least hungry to see those stories. Yeah. And obviously you're from a, a theater background. Mm. Would you like to do Moonlight as a produced play on no. stage? No. No. Mm -mm. It's done. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Often, I mean, I never. It never was ever going to be a play. Right, okay. It was always written. I mean, it, it's written so differently than anything I've ever written. It literally yeah. says interior, exterior, right, okay. and like, you know, I don't know how. I mean, I don't know how I would get anybody to, to, to do it. One and two, it's just so beautiful as a film. Why? Yeah, sure. You know. Okay. And uh, so, what have you got planned next? What's next on your agenda? Well, currently, I don't yeah. know if it's next, but current, like concurrently as this is happening, I'm uh, looking through applications for you know uh, choosing the next class for my for my program right. at, at the the drama school. Um, and that, so I'm looking, reading lots of applications and, you know, reaching out to students in that way, okay. sort of figuring out what the, what our year together would be like. And then, um, yeah, that's taking a lot, that and talking about Moonlight is taking yeah, up sure. a lot of my time. <laughs> okay. And uh, I've, I've, I understand you were sort of brought under the wing of August Wilson. Mm. Um, I was wondering, have you seen Fences yet? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I think they did it a good job. Oh, yeah. Service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to share, I think... You know, it's interesting. Uh, it was really great to hear Denzel Washington talk about um, talk about Barry and Barry Jenkins and the way he created that film, um, and I and I really loved that because that's one of the that's one of the things that August was so great at. August was really great about looking at younger talent and and sort of not even necessarily taking them under the, his wing, but just being an advocate, saying, hey, you should go see this person's work. They're a young artist, you know? And so he, the whole cast of Radio Golf, which was working at um, the at school where we were, he would just be like, oh, Terrell has a play. You should go see Terrell's play. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of, it was kind of incredible. I'll tell you a funny story that I don't often tell, which is that he brought me my first iPod. Right, okay. Did you know this? I didn't know this. No. All right, so um, I was his assistant, and I was a very bad assistant. I was not very good at all. Because um, <laughs> I can't even assist my own life. Like, they, even now, I was like, I would be a terrible assistant. Yeah. Um, so, But I was his assistant nonetheless, and he, he sort of called me up, and he said, Hey, I need you to go buy my daughter. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today an iPod for her birthday um, it's coming up and I need an iPod one of those new fancy iPods and I was like well I don't have iPods so I don't know how that works he's like well just go I need you to go buy the best one and so New Haven is like Oxford in that it's you know it's 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 out somewhere in the you know and uh, there's Oxford and then there's the Shire around it but there's no like iPod store at this time that we, the app, nearest Apple store was in New York City so I would either have to get on a train or go to Best Buy and I get in this car and I drive all the way out to Orange and I get and I like he gives me this wallet 
this envelope full of like hundred dollar bills and I'm like only old people do <laughs> you know what I mean like and so I get this this big pack of money and I yeah. go out and I say I need the most expensive warranty guaranteed iPod yeah. you have because I'm pissed at this point I'm missing class to go get this damn iPod so I go get it and I come back and I'm like here's your iPod and then I leave I just give it to him and I go back to class because I'm late and so he calls me back and he's like I need you to sit down so he sits down and he's like okay uh, you always need music whenever you write and he gives me the iPod. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He made, he tricked me into buying my own <laughs> iPod. And he I was I never forget that. Because he you know, he's just like that. He just he he, he always wants you to, to get to to there has gotta be a story towards it. There's gotta be a journey towards it. Just can't be kind of there. Yeah. He always you always with him, you needed to understand the journey. Um, so he, you know Andre Holland, who's in Moonlight, is in Jitney right now on Broadway, yeah. which is extraordinary. It's my favorite play, period. Okay. Um, but also my favorite August Wilson play. Um, and then Fences, I thought was extraordinary. I yeah. thought the performances in Fences were extraordinary. Incredible, right? Yeah. Uh, Terrell, thank you so much. Oh no, time. thank you. I'm sure I went way longer than I was supposed to. Hey, uh, the first thing he said to me when I walked in the room was, uh, "I like your socks." Oh, nice. You do have nice what socks. socks? They were sort of a sort of I I describe them as an aqua blue. Oh, cool. were you only wearing socks? I was only wearing socks. He had nothing else to say to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like your socks. <laughs> did, did you? Not then, again, did you then Sam. say? Did you just turn and look at him and say, "In sunlight, Sam's socks look blue"? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Ah, oh, you always think of these things when you leave, don't yeah. you? Uh, okay, so that was uh, Tarell Alvin McCraney there. Right, so Moonlight. Moonlight is uh, one of the major awards contenders this year. Uh, it's that and La La Land that are f- battling each other. Guys, do you think it's a worthy contender this year, Moonlight? 100%, yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, it should be. I think, sadly, it, it seems to be another award being a bit ignored. So, yep. But I think it, it should be, in terms of ensemble and... and it doesn't have one standout performance, and I think yeah. that that's really to it to its credit. So I think it massively should be. I think it's incredible. I think it's better than La La Land. Okay, okay. So uh, before we get into it, let's just break down the plot. So as I said earlier, it's told in three chapters, three different stages of this uh, boy Chiron's life. Jake, do you want to break down the cast list for us? Yeah. Um, so at the very start, we have uh, Alex Hibbert as the young Chiron, who is nicknamed Little. Uh, then we have Ashton Sanders as the teenager Chiron, uh, who at that point is just Chiron. Uh, and then in the third chapter, we have Trevante Rhodes as the adult Chiron, who is nicknamed Black. Okay, and then we also have uh, Naomi Harris as Chiron's mother, who is the only actor to appear in all three parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Janelle Monet as a kind of, sort of surrogate mother at points for him in the film. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and then Mahershala Ali as Juan, who is a uh, a drug dealer that uh, sort of takes Chiron under his wing uh, in the first part of the film. Yeah. He's kind of been given the most attention for this, hasn't he? Mahershala Ali. Yeah, he's the one that's the, given the most sort of attention in the terms of the awards, and he's the favourite to win Best Supporting Actor. Mm. Uh, and he's the one that a lot of people have been talking about. Um, but he's not in the film as much as I thought he'd be. Yeah, yeah. I just um, just quickly, we should also mention the actors that play Kevin. Yeah. Um, so Ke- Kevin is a is a close friend of Sharon's that runs through each thread of the story, and that's Jaden Piner, 
uh, Jarrell, Jerome and Andre Holland play them, uh, play Kevin at the different stages uh, of his life uh, as they coincide with Sharon as well. Um, but yeah, um, going back to Marshall Ali, yeah. who is excellent in this, um, and he's so warm mm. in the role, but obviously so conflicted and complex when you when you realise what his job is. And it doesn't try and make that a big twist or anything. You you know that from the start, but you just have that conflict and that complication from it immediately. But he is still so warm and compelling. Barry Jenkins said in an interview that in most movies, a black drug dealer is just a black drug dealer, but he wanted to show that that's not the totality of who this character is. And I think that's a really strong point in the whole film. You've got the mother who um, is on drugs herself but and and Jenkins actually said that that was very personal for him because that reminded him of his own mother and his own experience and um Naomi Harris was was not sure about taking that role um but but sort of Jenkins promised her that that he was going to make a full rounded character and this is where the strength of the film is is that um every single character has such a story around them and has so many different parts of their own identity um, and it's expressed so well without a narration as well, which I really wanted to mention because it, like, it reminded me a little bit of like Shawshank and some of the kind of identity and humanity and friendship themes. But it's so much braver than that because it doesn't have that narration over the top that's saying, and then this happened, and then this happened. It just lets the characters speak for themselves. Yeah, uh, it's not afraid of starving you of information. Yeah, uh, it really it, because it has those those three chapters. It, there's nothing at the start of each one to get you up to speed. It just it drops you into that. Even the first scene is not Sharon. Yeah, it, the first person we see is Juan. Yeah, and we follow him for a good few minutes before we even know Sharon exists. Mm. Before he even enters the frame. So yeah, it does. It gives a lot of credit to the audience, and it really expects them and knows that they are smart enough, clever enough, and emotionally mature enough to get these characters without force feeding you any information about them and I think that's quite uh, that's saying something in a film set in a very poor black neighbourhood in this part of America that will often kind of really play these points to the max just to get them across but this mm. film it, you know the information I think takes a backseat to the visuals and the characters and that makes this a really nice experience to watch it's also something as well that took me a bit by surprise that it doesn't go this go for this kind of neo-realist approach to showing this community. At times, I found it quite sort of ephemeral and dreamlike. Did you get the same feeling? Yeah, I think I think the <coughs> excuse me, I think the um, the music does that quite yeah. quite yeah. well, and actually the the music massively a shows uh, shows Sharon's sort of inner feelings and actually what he's thinking. So it might be. You know, there might be a drug deal going on mm. somewhere or his mum might be, you know, on the sofa. But, yeah, you have that sort of dreamlike music. And there's only really a couple of snippets when they're suddenly in a car and they turn the radio on yeah. and there's suddenly the music he's actually listening to and suddenly you're chucked back into yeah. what's actually happening. And I think, yeah, I think the music is is crucial for yeah. kind of keeping you away. I would mention that's Nicholas Bratelli yeah. and it is really wonderful, the music. The, 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 and it shows, uh, I think we... Helen and I may have talked about it. Did we do um, Childhood of a Leader? Yeah. Yeah, uh, in how much the gaps in between the music can really benefit the yeah. film as well. And I think that's very true of Moonlight because you've got these these little bits of strings and piano 
um, but it's never overbearing at all. It really gives the uh, the the scene space as well, and yeah. it, it doesn't fill up the scene. Yeah, because with something like you know we we did the podcast not long ago about Jackie mm. and something like that, that purposefully does fill the scenes mm. and fills way too much at points. And, and that's done intentionally, but this is definitely holds back a bit more, mm. and it's definitely a bit more uh, withdrawn with the yeah. music. Yeah, and um, you said there about the giving the scene space, and I think that's something the sh- film does so well is that each scene is so important to the rest of the film and to showing who you who these characters are. Yeah, and I think that's where you can tell that uh, McCraney has a background in theatre. Now, the the, fil- the treatment he wrote it was never written as a play; it was always written as a film treatment. Uh, and I'm not saying the film is in any way stagey, but that whole thing of you're in this location, use the location, the characters are there, let's have them have the conversation there and stay there. Because often in films, that they'll, so they'll meet up in a diner and they'll say hello, and the next scene they'll be walking home and the conversation will carry on exactly where they left well, off in the yeah, diner. Like Aaron Sorkin or something. Yeah, and it will go then to another location, another location. This film, so two characters meet in the diner, they stay in the diner for, what, 20 minutes or so mm. and have the conversation there, and there's something so real about that that they just stay there and the scene's so relaxed and has an amazing pace and just takes its time. I think, I think the, the, the time thing's so crucial for when dramatic events happen and actually there aren't too many there's, no. ma- there's maybe like one or two big events that, that kind of shape yeah. the way the movie goes and shape the way the characters go and crucially that space means that you care about when a big event happens so something like you know when you get an action film and loads of people are there's loads of like you know explosions and yeah. killing and and there's action 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 you don't you don't care about anything yeah. so that but this film obviously not being an action film gives itself space so when something does happen or a violent act happens it hits you more as an audience and therefore you feel it as if the uh, as if the character feel, feels it yeah but not just the violent acts like there's some lines of dialogue that completely flawed me and they're just said in this big in this space yep. in this quiet and and they're not overdone and it's not you know like we said with this big backing um soundtrack and they're not overacted in any way and you there's some that i'm i I won't say because it will sort of spoil parts of it but there's some that they're delivered and you could almost miss them yeah and then i i I sort of catch myself and realize what they've said and i was absolutely floored by it and i do think the writing is outstanding and i just wanted to mention the original title i think that's an incredible title in moonlight black boys look blue yeah yeah like oh wow yeah it's a real sort of evocative statement isn't it yeah and yeah it just shows what like like that's a couple of words yeah and for titles are hard yeah (laughs) and they've just completely nailed it i i'm so like this film is incredible yeah i think i think it's interesting you know there was there was talk about august wilson yeah and actually um viola davis when she won her uh uh, won her award at the Saga Awards. She said, um, "Saga, is it not Sag? Sag, sorry." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the Saga I, I, Awards for like old fifty plus insurance. All right, Viola Davis does love like cruise ship, and she loves car insurance. So it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Viola Davis uh, during the the Sag Awards when she won uh, said about August Wilson said he honoured the average man who happened to be a man of colour. 
and I think this film does that as well. Yeah. And I think that that that's a really interesting statement. I think that really works for this. Yeah. In terms of the drug dealer not just being a drug dealer, yeah. mm-hmm. the mum, the mum on drugs, elected. not just being a dr- yeah. drug yeah. head or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's crucial. In the mm-hmm. um in the discussion that I had with uh, Grant on the fences yeah. one earlier this week, uh, we talked about the fact that in fences the the trailer and almost the first few parts of the film almost trick you into thinking, oh, this is a film about racism, uh, and that's what this is about. So it, it, it kind of hooks you in that, and then, it's like, and then it leads you into, oh, this is a film about people, and that, that's actually yeah. what it is, and we can look at that, and then we can dissect what it means at the end of it, rather than using that, um, just the idea of talking about racism as an issue as the thing to hook you in. Yeah. Um, and and Moonlight does the very same thing. Well, this is a very this is a very personal film, and it uses that as a platform. Yeah, and I think that's that's really nice to see that they're now ordinary stories are being told. And, yeah. You know that that's what I really loved about. I always mention Amaris Antti whenever I'm on it, but that's what I really liked about United Kingdom because initially it was about race, and then it became about politics and mm. became about ordinary life. And I think I think that's. That's where a story's really strong at the at the moment, and that seems to be where they where stories about race seems to be going, which is really nice because it means that we're getting a wider array of stories. We're getting different stories, and we're getting ordinary stories, and that's really crucial. Yeah, I think re- you sort of reading around this. There's been quite a lot of discussion about how important this film is in terms of the political climate in America, and and obviously we've got things like the homophobic attack on the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Yeah. And yes, it is it is important, but I completely agree with you. I think I think this film is a great film whenever it comes out. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah. like it's it's not using the political. It's not being divisive. It's not using the political climate as well. It's just an excellent film, and this this will still be an excellent film in years to come when hopefully these issues aren't. You know, we're not living in the in the climate that we are now. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. but. Uh, it's outstanding. Yeah, and that's what Terrell said in the interview. Like, to paraphrase here, you know, it's kind of it's it's not it's not there for you as a token film. It's not there for the it's Oscar race yeah. to fill a gap that they missed last year. It's genuinely the best way they could tell this story that he knew so well because it was it was his life and Barry, everyone there just put their effort into making this film. And it is amazing that it's got given this huge reaction. I mean, it was the best reviewed film last year. Wow. And because there's a there's a website I go on that it sort of gets the um because the critical top tens of each critic uh, at the end of the year and like compiles them into one big list and this was this was on most critics uh, number one spots. Wow. I'll just get I'll just um, steal something from uh, Helen O'Hara on another film podcast. What? Um, <laughs> who's who? I uh, really lovely described this as this is not a take your medicine type film mm. in terms of. Like having to learn a lesson or something. Yeah, you don't yeah. like you. You don't need to force feed this to people. Totally. It's it's a lot of it is in is is a really like easy watch, and I don't mean that as a bad thing, but as yeah. in, as in because because the music's not not harsh, and because because it's really nicely paced. A lot of it is like easy to watch and easy to absorb. Yeah, and that that's why when there are moments that aren't and that are much harsher, yeah, that's why they're they're really crucial. And there are there are a number of um, 
there are a number of dream sequences in the film, but because the film is already so dreamlike, yeah, you don't to, even yeah. know that they're happening. <laughs> um, it's just so woozy, um, and you just you drift into the film, don't you? And you 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 just uh, let it happen in front of you, and the music and the beautiful beautiful colours of it uh, just create this meditation yeah. and this this state where you could this could be three hours, four hours long and I could still just happily let this be happening in front of me. Yeah, I think one of the most, one of the standout scenes when he's being taught to swim by Juan and I think you do kind of feel like you are floating there with them throughout Mm -hmm. the whole film, like you're just there so sort of relaxed and letting all of these things wash over you and letting them happen in front of you. And this is a cinema film. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's never... Sh- like flashing and banging in front of you to tell you it's a cinema film. This is not. This is not La La Land. Um, not that that's a bad thing about La La Land at all. But this is a very different thing. Um, but you want that experience as well, where you can be completely enveloped by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I just wanted to pick up on Naomi Harris because I know that I've read in, reading interviews with her in the past and stuff. She she uh, she went to Oxford or Cambridge. She went to one of the two. She said she felt so so displaced mm. and so not part of the whole Oxbridge thing. And I think you can see she's drawn upon her own experiences when you watch her in this film. And I'm not saying it's the same yeah. thing as being as being on drugs and, and and struggling with addiction. That, but I think her performance is exceptional. And I think the fact she's in all three parts and no one else is. Yeah. And you see her in every part, and they age her, and they age her really well yeah. that you believe it. I think it's such a shame that she's not being talked about as winning yeah. awards because I think she's there, and I think she's 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 possibly done enough to at least be mentioned. She's more. nominated, I she, think. I, I know, yeah. but there, there's not this hype around her, no. and I and I think she's she's a really great actress. I think hopefully we'll see her do a big British film. Because I know she's in Bond, yeah. but not much, but not enough. Not, not enough. Mm. And she, she's one of the best things in the in the modern Bonds, as far as I can tell it. Because yeah. she's she's flipped a role that was that had massive issues with it. Money Penny is a di- is a difficult role in modern times because it yeah. doesn't work. And she flipped that and made it into her own thing. And I think hopefully she gets she gets a big role soon somewhere in, in British cinema because that would be great to see her lead a film and really tackle it and take it on yeah and she did all her scenes in three days while that, on break from Spectre that's amazing so <laughs> absolutely incredible yeah uh, there's something else I wanted to compare it to actually which is Steve Jobs in that you're telling the story of someone's life in three acts mm. uh, did that work for you the three act structure like separating it so like exclusively this is part one this is part two this is part three did that work for everyone, or would you have maybe rather it been a bit more fluid? I think it gives you, I think it gives the director and writer a level of control by yeah. having it in three parts, and I think it really works for me. The reason I love Jobs is it doesn't tell you all the middle bits, yeah. and this doesn't tell you all the middle bits, and actually it means that you feel like every scene, as previously mentioned, is crucial and yeah. is important, and the dialogue's important, and we're not sat there. You know, some biopics or some you know biopics typically show yeah. life stories. Um, you feel like, well, why have I been told that? 
like just because that happened in that person's life is that making a difference to the film and this felt like everything made a difference to, to ultimately where the film ends I, I like the theatre structure and I love Steve Jobs but I think annoyingly it does then make you think which is your favourite yeah uh, like yeah. which is the best bit um, and, or which is the worst bit and it, uh, it or which is the worst performance and I do gravitate towards the first third and the last third uh, oh, I think I agree with that Mm. Mm, interesting. No. The, no. Oh, the middle is so. The Ashton mid, the Sanders. Mi- the middle is so formative to everything. Yeah, I'm, and and the, the middle section has a standout scene, but I think it's just the stuff in in the school and uh, having a bully and uh, that environment. It just felt like that didn't feel as new. Like in terms yeah, of- I. Uh, whereas there was moments in the first one and there are moments in the third one where I just felt like this is something that I have never seen and I didn't quite although there is there is as I said there is a portion in the middle which is astonishing and maybe the best scene in the entire film it's just there is I I just wasn't as attached to that middle section I was to the first and the third Um, and because there's stuff that we can't really say um, but there was just some little loss of connection for me in that middle section. Yeah, yeah if any of them are going to be something I have seen before, it's parts of the middle section, because the first one, you that's where you meet the some of these characters and really ground yourself in this world you haven't necessarily seen before. And then the middle section is am- it's still it's still an amazing piece of work, but there are just parts of it that I think are... You know, how many times have we seen the bullied teenager yeah and a fight fight in a school or or someone telling someone to hit someone see I felt like yes we'd seen them before but it felt new to me watching it like there's a scene when he's walking along down the corridor um, at the school and all the students are walking past him and we've seen that so many times but it hit me afresh and like I think that was the the cinematography and and the performance by Ashton Sanders who I think is really really good and and he you know he doesn't say much that's kind of yeah. his his character in that but there is so much going on and you can tell that he has this struggle inside him but it's so nuanced his before his performance I think I think there are also beautiful moments during that middle section there's a lovely conversation sort of in a corridor or in a, it's yeah. in between some stairs or something like that and that for me moments like that there's a conversation that changes exactly how the film is going to go mm-hmm. and yeah. where where it's going to go those are the great bits yeah. in the, in that middle section those personal bits yeah. just just between two people um and there's also a lovely bit where you see him charging through doors and you just see loads of doors open yeah. in quick succession. And that scene is great for building momentum and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and th- that was another excellent bit from this. And in um, the performance, uh, the Ashton Sanders performance in that moment, we won't say what it is, but that's that's excellent and a really yeah. gratifying moment as well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, if you haven't seen the film, then what are you doing go do so now uh, it's one. It's the best reviewed film of last year we all absolutely loved it so please check it out in the cinema the biggest screen you can because it is a real immersive experience that requires your own complete attention uh, we're going to go into spoiler territory now and discuss uh, the ends of each part of the film so here we go I really missed Marshall Ali when he wasn't on screen 
Yeah. But I think yeah. you are definitely supposed to because he's such a major part of Chiron's life mm. and such a huge influence on who he becomes that he misses him as well. And I think in the way that they, in the way that he is killed off screen very unceremoniously, I think is so impactful in the I, long run. I think that's why he has to go. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because of the he impact does. and yeah. because because he 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 ends up becoming him. Yeah. yeah. And and you can't have two of them yeah. in exactly. the same in the same world, in the mm. same life. So therefore that that's why he has to go, but I think it's lovely how they don't show you yeah. a, a gang killing or exactly, a, a, it's a, great. him getting in trouble. With the they don't even show the funeral. Else. No, yeah. they don't even mention that he's dead. They just say, "I haven't seen you since the funeral." Yeah, they don't. They don't say anything else really about uh, Juan, which I think is so so delicate. And I think it gives um, it gives more uh, it gives ter- the character of Teresa yeah. more agency to become this mother figure that he's looking for. And I think she wouldn't necessarily become this big figure that we think of yeah. in the film without him without him going. And the fact that nothing is said, I feel like, mimics Sharon's... Yeah, he wouldn't say he, anything. I can imagine he wouldn't yeah. say anything about it. Yeah. Um, and the, talking about Sharon not saying anything, you, although he does have dialogue in the film, you almost feel like he hasn't said anything the entire film, which then the there's a moment in Kevin's kitchen... Mm-hmm. in the yeah. last few minutes yeah. where he says something that the weight of that and it almost feels like yeah even in the audience you've just been built, uh, piling on these yeah. layers and layers and in that moment it all just peels away and all those frustrations because you have that from the very very start um, and because he's a child you can't get annoyed with him or frustrated with him for not talking because uh, some kids don't do that and uh, Juan isn't annoyed with him either. He's just he's very friendly with him. He said, "If you don't want to talk, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But I'm going to make you some dinner or something." Um, and you do have that those silences throughout, which then it's cliche, but they they become so loud. And in the, that little moment at the end, it's just wonderful. Well, that that's why the that's why the diner scene just before that's so crucial mm. because it it piles on that pressure even more mm. by taking its time and being slow and. You not really knowing where it's gonna go, mm. and that that that's what makes that end mm. scene is having that diner scene before it. Mm. Um, and I love the um, the fact that by the end he has become this sort of different person, black, that mm. uh, Kevin used to give him the nickname of, mm. and he's kind of kept that on, and he's kind of combined the influences of Kevin and Juan into this third third character, third persona. I thought that was really nicely handled as well. But 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 still crucially has elements yeah, absolutely. from from his other yeah. you know yeah. personas or have There's a moment from. in the diet because he's got gold fronted teeth yeah. as well, and then obviously he takes them out to eat. And there's a moment where Kevin says to him as he's walking past, he's like, yeah. "Why have you got those fronts?" And I think that sums up the whole film. Yeah, yeah. It's incre- It's an traps. incredible line. Why mm. have you got those? But that's it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, so let's wrap up there. Uh, so another huge thank you to uh, CSR for letting us use their studio once again and now it's time for our Curls on Home Cinema recommendations of the week uh, Helen let's start with you Duke of Burgundy is on there which is directed by Peter Strickland Love is Strange is also on there uh, Alfred Molino John Lithgow um, sort of a, a couple that are displaced uh, from their home and how they deal with that and how they sort of uh, Build on their relationship and work out where their relationship's going and things like that. It's it's beautiful and lovely filmmaking. Yeah, uh, I go with John Crowley's Brooklyn, uh, which is one of my favourite films of of last last year. 
um, just about an Irish young Irish immigrant moving to Brooklyn in the 1950s um, and the struggles with kind of homesickness and guilt and Catholicism. It's wonderful stuff. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to recommend Tangerine. This was a f- uh, very, very low-budget film about two transgender sex workers on Christmas Eve walking around L.A., trying to find the pimp who broke one of their hearts. It's a really unconventional film. It's all shot on an iPhone, uh, but really, really fun. Uh, amazing characters and just shows what you can do with a minimal budget and an iPhone. Loved it. And it's an alternative Christmas film as well. So thank you very much for listening. It's goodbye from Jake. Goodbye. Goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. Goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.